hearts are open. Because we can look. Jesus, you so precious to us. So aware of your presence. I don't know, you guys, sometimes, sometimes you read a passage of scripture and it like gets into your hearts, gets into your bones. And I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but sometimes a passage of scripture reads you. And that's how I felt this week. And um, yeah, it's just a, a passage of scripture that's really resonated with my heart over the years. and just felt like it's so been fresh to me. And just like Judy was praying, the Word of God is living and active. Which means every time we come to the Word of God, it's fresh. There's life and there's activity. And I feel like there's life and there's activity that the Holy Spirit wants to impart into each of our hearts this morning as we dive into His Word. So, we just pray, come Holy Spirit, put your hand in your heart, open the eyes of our hearts as we read this passage. We invite you into this room right now, Holy Spirit, we invite you to open our eyes. Fire of God, burn fresh in our hearts. And I felt as I was preparing, some of you guys, as we journey through this passage this morning, some of you guys are physically going to sense the presence of the Holy Spirit on your body physically. Some of you might even feel like a burning sensation in your hands or like a, a heat in your chest. I just felt like sometimes, you know, we sometimes wait for ministry time to have an expectation for God to meet with us. But I really felt like God wanted to actually just walk us through this passage. And as He does, like the Holy Spirit's going to fall on some of you in a real significant way. So why don't you just raise your expectation? Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. So Lord, we pray, may this be fresh bread to our hearts. So we're going to read from Luke 24, arguably for me, one of my favorite passages in the whole scripture, from verse 13. I'm going to read it out the ESV, so it's on the screen in the ESV, and then we'll dive into it, but I just felt I wanted to read it through from start to finish. So, yeah, I know sometimes we can disengage when we, we read the passage, but I really feel like there's an engagement. So, that very day, so Luke 24, 13, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? You've got to love Jesus. Eh? <laughs> and they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had a hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. But I love the next verse. Moreover, some of our women amazed us. <laughs> 
They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And this is a wild story. Some of those who were with us, they went to the tomb, and they found it just as the woman had said. Who would have thought? <laughs> but they did not see him, him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and so hard to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted if he was going further. Jesus said. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to him, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight, and they said to each other, Do not our hearts burn within us. Do not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And that same hour, they got up and they returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them, and they said, said, The Lord is risen indeed. And he's appeared to Simon. They told what happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened. They thought he was a spirit. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. What a powerful passage. And uh, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. Our, our mission as a church is stepping into the story of God and the ways of Jesus for the sake of Cape Town. And we've been dwelling on the ways of Jesus in the Sermon of the Mount. And um, I love the first part of our, our, our mission is stepping into the story of God. And I feel like this morning God is going to show us how He has stepped into our story. And he's always been part of our story. So, what I want to do is kind of just go through this verse by verse and um, really just trust that God is going to just open something up to our hearts and our eyes. And, you know, it starts off saying that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. And I find it so interesting that it just starts saying there's two of them. Because it reminded me of that verse we always share in a prayer meeting where there's only like three of us. Yeah. Like, we're two or more gathered here the Lord. Like, Lord, please bring other people to see him. It's so embarrassing if no one else works out. But um, there's something about the fact that it says two of them were walking, and as they were talking about these things, Jesus drew near. He drew near to them. You know, it's so interesting, we see this journey that they're on, um, and how they've kind of lost hope. And there's something that happens where hopelessness shared multiplies. And hope shared multiplies. Have you ever walked into a room and you've just met someone who's completely hopeless? Just like sucks the life out of the room. And you just get drawn into that. 
Or if you spend like five minutes someone who's full of hope, it just completely changes your perspective. There's something that happens when we share our hearts, that we can enter into uh, the atmosphere that's on other people's lives. And I feel like there's something of hope that God wants to unlock afresh in our hearts this morning. And it casually says they were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So Emmaus was like a a one-day walking journey from Jerusalem. And it's interesting, if you look up the the meaning of Emmaus, it means, it's taken from a Hebrew root that means the burning place. Another commentator says, Now Emmaus, if it be interpreted, it may be rendered a warm bath. For therein is a spring of warm water useful for healing. So this story could be, could be the road to the burning place or the road to the warm bath. <laughs> but isn't it interesting that, that it says that very day, that very day we, we read later, the woman had gone to the tomb, they found there was nothing there. Something was happening, and that very day these two guys decide to walk away from Jerusalem and walk back to a village known as the burning place, or the place of healing of waters, or the place of the warm bath. And there's something significant happening here because what, what has been happening for the first those past few years, Jesus' whole life and his whole mission was single-minded and single-focused on getting to Jerusalem. He always said, I'm going to Jerusalem. I must go to Jerusalem. Follow me. My mission is walking to the place of my death. He followed the mission of God, even though it was to the place of pain, he said, I'm single-minded because God has called me. I'm not going to shy away and walk away from the pain, but I'm going to walk to that place because I know that there's something that God wants to do. So these guys, more than likely, have been spending three years with Jesus, or some period of three years, as he has been single-mindedly focused here. I've got to get you to Jerusalem. Something's going to happen when I get there. Three years, they head towards Jerusalem. Within three days, they head away from Jerusalem. It's amazing what can happen when we suffer pain and disappointment, what can happen in our hearts. Because our pain causes us to retreat to the places of familiarity that were once the source of our fire. So that, that Jesus who's going to be crucified, what's happened? Three days, I know where I'll go. I'll go back to the place that used to set my heart on fire. I'll leave Jerusalem. I'll leave all the things that God has started burning in my heart because I know there's a place that's known as the burning place. So maybe if I walk there, or I'll go back to the place that's like a warm bath of comfort to me. Does that make sense to you guys? We cannot face the place of our pain or the Jerusalem of our disappointment, so we retreat to what we know. We seek refuge in that which was once the source of our fire or the place that feels like comfort to us. And I find fascinating that our our culture, the world we live in, is obsessed with comfort. It's like obsessed with comfort. I mean, how many hundreds of thousands of (coughs) programs or movies can you find on Netflix? Like, you can just literally Netflix and chill your life away. And then you still can't find anything to watch. And it's interesting that in the midst of a world that's obsessed with comfort, 
Um, all these academics and scholars and cultural commentators say we're living in what's called a meaning crisis because people are trying to solve and find a meaning, the source of, of meaning in their hearts through comfort, and they realize that comfort is just a terrible master. Because if you follow comfort, you're just going to sink into the couch and go to a place and lose the very essence of who you are. And I love what Judy was saying about we behold what we become. We become what we behold. And some of us, we're just beholding those things that are so easy to click through. We just become complacent and we just lose the fire of God in our lives. But there's something that God wants to do in our hearts to cause them to burn again. Chris Valentin has this amazing quote. It says, A man without a vision is a man without a future, and a man without a future will always return to his past. A man without a vision is a man without a future, and if you don't have a future, you'll always return to your past. And you can see this stuff happening in the story. These people, they see a vision of Jesus. They say, he's going to be the Messiah. He's going to redeem Israel. We've got a future. We've got hope. We're oppressed by the Romans. We over, we over, but we've got hope. And then three days later, it's all dashed. And they, say, and they return immediately to their past. What is your demise? What is your place of familiarity? Or your warm bath? And it says, verse 14, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Isn't that amazing? As they were talking about all the things that happened, and all the things that happened involved Jesus, as you begin to speak about him, he begins to draw near. As you speak about him, he can't help but come and be with you. And the word in the Greek for drew near, literally means extreme closeness. He drew near. And you know, it's so interesting. They weren't talking about how great Jesus was and what the things they were going to do for God and all the things that had happened. and like, wow, we've overcome. No, they were in this journey, literally walking away from the very place where God had called them to be. And even as they were discussing, talking about Jesus in the disillusionment and disappointment, he comes and he draws near. Because he's so kind and he's so faithful that whenever we mention his name, he comes and draws near. And it doesn't matter about the state of our hearts, because the state of his heart is always one to be the one who draws near to us. And then it says, verse 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And isn't it amazing when we live in a place of disappointment or sadness or pain takes root in our hearts, there's something that happens in the eyes of our, our physical eyes that we aren't able to recognize the very presence of God in the midst of us. But I've also always wondered, like, is it just the fact that they were in this place where their, their hearts were downcast and they couldn't recognize Him? Because it says their eyes were kept from recognizing Him. And I, and I really just felt like God said, you know, He is far more interested in opening the eyes of our hearts before He opens our physical eyes to see what He's doing among us. It's like the kindness of Jesus that He will slowly draw back the curtains 
on our lives as His light begins to shine through. He's not just going to yank it back and almost like blind us. Sometimes we live through these seasons where God draws near and we can't recognize Him, but He's more interested that our hearts first begin to recognize Him, and as our hearts begin to recognize Him, our eyes will start to then see what He'd been doing all along when He'd been with us. I hope this is helping you guys. And he said to them, What is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? As if you didn't know. And it says, And they stood still, looking sad. And it's interesting that they were walking for a day, so I'm sure they would have, I don't even know who wrote the story, I assume it was one of the two. I had recounted it back to Luke, who wrote, who wrote the, uh, this is the last chapter of Luke. But the fact that he says they stood still, I mean, they must have stopped at various points during their walk. So why does he say they stood still? Some, some translations say they came to a stop. And it says they, they stood still looking sad. And I, I, I often share this message saying, you know, we could get to a place where you know, we're disappointed and, and it just, you know, we, we, we stand still and we, we wallow in that. But I really felt like God saying, no, sometimes pain comes into our life to a degree in our heart that it paralyzes us. That pain can paralyze you and you can actually stop. You can come to a stop. And I feel like there are many of us in this room where things have happened in our lives and it's not be light-hearted about the stuff that we've had to walk through in the last two to three years, what's happened in our society, in our world. A lot of us have walked through a massive degree of loss and pain and trauma. And for some of us, we need to come to Him today because the Bible says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And... Um, I listened to a message from Chris Valentin this week where God said to him, give me your ashes. And he just talked about the things that we walked through in the last few years. And uh, I just thought God speak to me this week and say, give me your ashes. What are the things that have just burnt? Like you've even become burnt out in your own life. You've tried to achieve things or do things or things that have just been reduced to ashes. Because he is the God who makes beauty out of ashes. I had a time with the worship team here yesterday, and Sarah was leading us, and we were worshiping, and I was standing over there, and I just felt like overwhelmed by the presence of God. He just began to minister his kindness to me, and I was just weeping, and it's like I just saw this picture of God sending these like angelic beings to take these ashes, almost like you know, you put ashes in an urn when someone passes away. It's, it's such a a special thing. And almost like I was saying, like, these things that have become ashes in your life to me, they are so precious. And as you give them to me, as you trust me with your disappointments and the things that you've been mourning and you've lost, I'll bring beauty out of these ashes. For some of us, we've been standing still looking sad. It's almost like the pain has paralyzed us, has stopped us for moving forward, but the Lord says today, I want to put you on the front foot because I'm walking with you. Amen.
And so that, then they have this whole thing about Jesus asking them what happened. But it's interesting in verse 18, the next, the next verse, it says, They stood still with each other. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him. And uh, I've never actually noticed this in this in passage before. We don't know who the other person was. But I looked up the name Cleopas, and its most direct translation means celebration of the Father. And you know, in that culture, your name was not just what you were known by, but it was your identity. You know, that's why Jesus says to you, no longer will you put Simon or put Peter on this rock of my church. It's defining who you are. This man's defining identity was one who become, who was a celebration of the Father. And I feel like it's not incidental that they mentioned his name, because the way that heaven saw him, the way that Jesus saw him, is you one who's meant to be celebrated and live in a place of celebrating all the Father's doing. And in the midst of this, you're walking away from the very plans of God, the purposes of God. But Jesus says, no, you might not recognize me, but I recognize you. And he recognizes Cleopas. And there's something of the celebration of the Father that I believe is unlocked over his life as we see what happens in his heart. And some of us have lost the place of celebration and what God has celebrated over our lives because of the things that have happened and that have taken root in our hearts. And I believe today He wants to break those things off us so we can see the celebration of heaven over us. Another translation of His name is glory to the Father. And He becomes a man who brings glory to the Father. Our lives, our purposes, our identity is to bring glory to God. That's why the state of our heart is so important. Not just so that we live a great life and we feel good about ourselves, but so we can live lives that are expansive, that bring other people into the kingdom and bring glory to God. So they go through this whole um, description of what had happened, and I find it so interesting. Don't you think sometimes when we like wrestle with God and God begins to just ask us questions, we like begin to tell Him what happened? It's like they're schooling Jesus on what just happened to Jesus, and they don't know who they're speaking to. And verse 21 always stuck out to me and it said, But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah who wasn't going to just fall by the wayside at the hands of the Romans. We had hoped he would be the one who would overthrow them. As Jews, we would hoped that Jesus would come and set us free and liberate us. We'd be waiting for this for hundreds, for thousands of years. But no, three years Disappointment in three days. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And when you lose heart, when you lose hope, your heart becomes sick. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for. When you lose hope, it's difficult to have faith. And I feel like God wants to breathe fresh hope into our hearts and redeem hopes so that we can be people of faith again. Because they said, we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. More, you know, what's funny is that he wasn't just the one to redeem Israel, he's the one to redeem all things. Through his death and resurrection, he came to redeem not just the people of the, the Jews, but to redeem all of creation. And today, He is redeeming our dreams, our hopes, the things that we felt have been buried. 
You know, TD Jacks is an interesting thing. Being, this is an amazing statement. Being buried and being planted are basically the same thing, just with different intention. And some of, some of us feel like things in our lives have been buried six feet under. All we can see is dumb. We can't see the light of day. But the Father says, where you think you've been buried, I've planted you. You might see all, everything around you that looks and smells like done, but actually what I've done is it's a seed of faith, and I've placed you, and I've planted you to bear fruit. And so He is the resurrection and the life. And He will re resurrect things that we felt and we know have died. And then they say, besides all this, it is now the third day. It's like, you know, you get to that point, you're like, We'd hoped, but also it's like three days. Yeah. It's like he's he's gone. Even Lazarus was raised after three days. And for some of us, we can go through things in our lives, and we we go through the pain or the disappointments or whatever happens in our lives, and it could be three days or three months or three years. And we say, but God, it's been three days. What good can come from this? And you know what the funniest part of it is that the story starts with the three words that very day. That they say to him, it's been three days, you don't know what's going on, but in the midst of their greatest disappointment, they're walking in the midst of the greatest work of God that's ever been seen because on that very day, Jesus was no longer in the grave, but he was raised and he was risen. And death was swallowed up in victory. Life swallowed up death. And sometimes what happens in the midst of our own disappointment, God can be doing things to turn them around to be the resurrection and the life for the things that we thought had died. And today is that very day I feel the Lord says to some of us. This may be a tangent, and I'll try, uh, I'll try to finish soon, but verse 22 and 23 already stuck out with me this week. It says, Moreover, some woman of our company amazed us. They went to the tomb, they did not find his body, they came back saying what they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb, and they found it just as the woman had said. And I just was struck by that phrase, some of the, the, the company, some woman of our company amazed us. And I feel like what God's been doing in our church, restoring the voice of woman, we're going to live in a season of women in this company amazing us. And the things that women have told us and we ceased to listen to, we're going to say, oh, we found it just as the woman had said. And it's no longer going to be where women are going to need a man's approval to stand up and actually declare the things that they've seen and they've heard God do. But women are going to begin to amaze us because we're living in a season where women have been set free and realized that their voice stands in equal um, on an equal platform with men. And I feel like God is redeeming the voice of women afresh. I know we keep coming back to this, but I feel like the Spirit is on this. What He's doing in this season is that the women in this body are going to amaze us because God is redeeming the voice and the calling over women's lives that has so long been trampled over. Somebody can say amen. And the and then it says, verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
And he goes and basically he walks with them to the place that they're seeking to find comfort, the place that they're seeking to find familiarity. And he begins to unpack the scriptures. And he begins to reveal the living word who's actually with them, begins to reveal himself through the written word. And it must have been the most beautiful moment where Jesus, starting with Moses and the prophet, says, you thought I was like this, but I've come to tell you, this is what I am like. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going further. And that verse drew near, that word drew near is the same as in the beginning of the passage. And there's something that happens where Jesus wants to draw near to us. You know what's so interesting? He acted as he was going further. I kind of wonder, like, was he just playing with them? But actually, they turn around and they say, stay with us. Stay with us. And I feel like the Lord is looking for a people who says, stay with us. Our hearts are open with each other. Stay with us. Don't leave us. And the amazing thing is he went from just at the beginning of the story coming alongside them, then kind of getting to know them, then unpacking themselves, and then he says, no, I want to stay with you. I don't just want to have a people who have a visitation. I want to be looking for a people who are my habitation. He's looking for a stay with us people. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he broke the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And isn't it amazing that their eyes were opened and they recognized him in the breaking of the bread? That their eyes were open to recognize him, not because of some amazing feat that he'd done, or some amazing miracle that had happened, or some amazing teaching, but whilst their brokenness had kept them from recognizing him, his brokenness opened their eyes to recognize him. And I feel like the Lord says, where you feel like you're too broken, You've had too much pain, disappointment, disillusionment. I am the one who is the wounded healer. You looked to go to a place where it says it had waters of healing, but actually you found that the healing was in my brokenness and that I did not hide my wounds from you. I've often wondered why did Jesus, he had a new resurrected body and he could walk through walls, he could eat, he could do, he could go from one place to the, another moment. Why did he keep the scars in his hands and the wound in his side? And maybe it was because he wanted to say to us that for all eternity, I want you to be reminded that I'm not ashamed of my wounds because I'm not ashamed of your wounds and I'm not ashamed of your brokenness. Because if you come and you put your hand in my side or your fingers in my hands, I want to draw out the toxins of your wound and your pain and your hurt. And I want to restore to you the joy of my salvation. 
And then it says he vanished from their sight. And we don't know why he vanished from their sight. I wouldn't make a theological point about it, but some people like to think that maybe he vanished from being in front of them because he became within them. He entered into them as the Spirit was about to do. When they recognized him, they no longer needed to see his presence with them because now their hearts knew that he was a dwelling place and he would stay with them as he would give his spirit later. And then verse 32, they said to each other, Did not a heart burn within us? I pray God you would give us hearts that would burn within us again. That you would take the burnt out ones who only have ashes to offer you to be the burning ones. And isn't it interesting that they were on the road to the burning place. But the thing that set their hearts on fire was not the burning place but the burning one. And one encounter with Jesus will always cause our hearts to burn within us. They went from a place where they said, but we had hope, to a place where they said, did not our hearts burn within us? And then something amazing happens. It says in verse 33, they rose that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. Their journey started that same day, like this whole, you get a sense of like it was a day's journey. But they have an encounter with Jesus, their hearts burn within them. That same hour, they go back to Jerusalem. One encounter with Jesus, he'll turn your life around. He'll take everything. You know, he's so kind that he says, I don't want you to, you know, he says, they say stay with him. He acts as if he goes further. You know, God doesn't want to um, identify with the places of our comfort and our familiarity and just let us live in a place of um, comfort. He wants something more for us. But he's so kind that sometimes he'll come into that very place and he'll dwell with us, dwell with us in that place and he'll reveal himself to us and he'll cause our hearts to burn in such a way that we'll leave that very thing and we'll turn back to the place which we were escaping from. And I find it so interesting, you know. We read the stories of two men. What did we read about the woman? They went to the tomb. The woman were actually the brave ones in the story because they faced up to their pain and they went back to the place of pain and the place of death. But it's almost like these men said, we can't face it. We're going to walk away and we're going to go away. And even when they talk about Jerusalem, they said, haven't you heard about all the things that happened there? And it's like we try to put our distance between the place of our disappointment and the place of our pain and the place of the anguish. But God says, no. When your heart's burn within you, you go, you'll go back to that place and realize that was the place of your destiny all along. And you know, I'll finish with this. It says, they found, they rose, they returned to Jerusalem, they found the eleven. Isn't it amazing? When God does something in your heart, you find your people, you find your tribe, you go from being disconnected, you know, I'll be disillusioned with church, I'll go on my own journey, I'll just find someone who agrees with me and I'll walk away. But no, God does something in your heart. He turns your heart around. The heart starts to burn within you. And you find the ability. And you find your community. Because God created you for more than just yourself. 
This is not just about a personal destiny. Your personal destiny is only ever filled, fulfilled in the place of community. And God says this is a season for us to join with the eleven, to find our people, to find our tribe, to recognize that individualism is not the island that we'll live under, but we'll submit ourselves to community and we'll find that our destiny is fulfilled in community. I that was a good and then they said, The Lord has risen indeed, he has appeared to Simon, and they told what happened on the road and how he's known to them in the breaking of the bread. It's amazing. They began to speak about the resurrection of Jesus. Where at the beginning of the story, they're like, Don't you even know, like God's let us down, and like we just didn't ha- have a clue what God was doing. And at the end of that story, saying, This is the God who said he would raise the dead. And so, when you have an encounter with Jesus, it not only restores your heart, it not only restores you to community, but it calls you to mission, and it calls you to tell other people of what God had done in your life, because you recognize that your life is now no longer your own, but you're part of a bigger story. He steps into your story, and He pulls you out of the smallness of your story, and He places you in the bigness of His story, and you recognize that my heart can only ever be fulfilled in the bigness of His story, and I live for His glory, not mine. As they were talking about these things, verse 36, Jesus himself stood among them. Sorry, maybe you can just come back. Again, they just start to talk about these things. As at the beginning of the story, Jesus presences himself among them. But now it's not like he has to reveal himself to them, maybe to some of the others. And he says, see my hands and my feet. It is I myself. And he says, touch me and see. For some of us, we just need to come to that place where we can bring our brokenness and we can say, Jesus, I'm here to touch you and see. And the first words that he speaks when he's among them, he says, peace.
not burn afresh in my heart. That's you, why don't you just put out your hands? I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to just begin to touch many of us all around this room. see Jesus walking among many of us now with his eyes of fire just looking deep into us and saying in those places where you felt like you've just been standing still today I say it is finished Where he was in those moments. And he's going to begin to just release healing. 